So we are now, uh, we have a new system for recording where we don't use computers at all. Well, not a PC. Not a PC, yeah. Uh, so hopefully that will help us not get any issues with, because uh, I, I thought last week's episode sounded really good. Yeah, I think it sounds fine. You know, I mean, there's, I, I learned a lesson where if I open the wave files on the Flash Media, instead of copying them to the hard drive, mm-hmm. then when I do things like multi-brand compressor, like I think the scratch files that Edition makes is writing it back to the Flash drive, the, the Flash Media. So it took like... forever. Where something that would normally take a minute and a half was taking like 12 minutes. Right, so you copy it over first and then... <laughs> yeah, so I'll yeah. need to do that. But uh, other than that, I get, yeah, it's not too much. It's, it's an extra step, but it's not too bad. And if I have to worry less about accidentally stopping the recorder mm-hmm. i wish the lights would stay on on the timers you know just so i could see them counting up a lot easier yeah because the light goes out because it's normally battery operated but they're on usb power i wish the lights would stay on It'd be easier to monitor the digital display stays on but the yeah yeah but the orange light the backlight yeah, turns yeah, off yeah and having the backlight on would be handy but you know we could turn down the light <laughs> oh yes <laughs> crafty radio after dark so uh, it's been about a week since, a week and a half since we did the show last, because it was last Wednesday, and then uh, I was kind of busy the weekend, and I was tired on Saturday, on Sunday. Right. So, yes, sir. So here we are. Oh, ding! Finishing off some of that Sonoma Pride from previous two weeks. What have you done? Uh, what lately? I done lately. What have you done for me lately? <laughs> for you, nada. Yeah, you got me. You got me uh, coffee. Oh, okay. And I gave you ten bucks for it. So there you go. There you go. <laughs> yes. Um, what have I been doing? Coaching soccer, uh, hurting my knee. Played soccer. Yeah, I played soccer at, like lunchtime at work. And um, two weeks ago, after like the day after soccer, my knee felt a little tight and swollen. It was almost like a year ago. Where I went to Med Express and the guy told me I had gout. And I'm like, gout? Really? <laughs> so I haven't had shrimp since because it, he's like, stop alcohol and shellfish. I'm like, no. <laughs> <laughs> but I haven't had shrimp since. I uh-huh. never really cared for shrimp that much anyway. You sure. know? I was like, oh, I eat shrimp, but eh. Yeah. You know, don't really care if I don't have shrimp. And then I'm like, oh, maybe it's a recurrence of gout, right? But it was right after a lot of strenuous exercise. It was tight for a, almost a week and like the day it felt better it was time to play soccer again and um i kind of overdid it like my like was feeling a little bit wobbly side to side a little bit loose in there so it's like okay time to let this thing heal up so um then taking it easy got a knee brace so like today when i was like cutting the grass i was going real slow the knee brace really helped keep everything nice and snug in there and so getting old sucks and it sucks because soccer was my big plan on getting back in shape, right? Because it's, oh. it's it's fooling me into exercising because mm-hmm. it's fun. Right, right. You know, it's not like running or yeah. You don't feel you don't feel like you're exercising when you're doing it. It's forty five minutes an hour of strenuous exercise, mm-hmm. and it, I love it. It's fun, you know. And so my plan was to like use that as my trick. And now I'm kind of injured for now, so we'll see if things don't feel good in a week. 
I'm hoping things will feel good in a couple days to a week. I'll give it another week. If I still am having issues at that point, then it's time to see the doctor, I think. Mm. Go to a different doctor than MedExpress would be my mm. recommendation. No, no, I'll do my... Pe- well, I was worried because it was hot and swollen. I was worried about an infection mm, or something. Yeah. It was on the weekend. I, okay. And yeah. um, and I, did, I didn't have a relationship with my PCP. Like, I hadn't gone mm. in, like, eight years. Mm. <laughs> so, like, I went when I thought I had a hernia. I had a pain in the lower abdomen. And I thought I, I convinced myself that I could feel a little, like, like an indentation. So I went and, um, well, first they, they, my Heather called to try to make an appointment. Like he's not, you know, for new, for new, um, patients, it's like months and months of wait. Like I'm not, I'm an existing patient. And he's like, so then I'm sitting there with him talking and, and I'm like, yeah, you're, you're like, you're my doctor, dude. And he's like, really? <laughs> so, um, so apparently they got a new computer system and he didn't find my records or anything. Uh. So I decided to switch doctors. And my new doctor is, uh, I had my physical, my ACA physical, and she was nice. And uh, so I do have a relationship with the doctor now. So, yeah, I'll, I'll definitely. And my new insurance also really does not want you to go to MedExpress. They charge you, like, almost as much as an ER visit. Mm. Um, I think it's 100 for an ER and, like, 75 for MedExpress. Makes sense, yeah. yeah. So they really want you to go to your PCP. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, knees, old. Knees old. Hopefully, hopefully it's not a big deal because I like playing soccer. Playing the best soccer of my life. You know, it's funny. All the guys I'm playing with, right? They played team soccer as kids or college soccer, right? And they were joking, you know, talking about, you know, how good they used to be. And I'm like, I don't know about you. I'm playing the best soccer of my life right now. <laughs> <laughs> I've never been playing this good. Yeah. <laughs> um. Other than an interesting family issue that I talked to Jeff about, uh, hasn't really been much going on, um, on my side. Uh, Game of Thrones. Yeah. Yeah. Game, Game of Thrones, Thrones. back. Um, not much to talk about because it was it's more just a, a real, table setting. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. That's the way to put it. Yeah. It was a set up episode table setting. Um, You know, a couple of the cliffhangers they left you at the end of last season, they they picked up with right away. So mm-hmm. that was nice. You got to see what you make sure, you know, Sansa wasn't, you know, laying at the bottom of the right. castle with two broken legs type thing. Um, which, how did she manage that anyway? Was there a moat there? Did they land in a Snow. moat? Oh, maybe, maybe, yeah, maybe it was a, it's Winterfell. Maybe mm-hmm. there was 12 feet of snow next to the castle. That's kind of, that's pretty much the only way yeah. I can see it working. Yeah. Okay. Um, Jon Snow is still dead for now. And uh, it really does seem like the, you know, they're really telescoping that the well, Red Lady's going to. Yeah, there's no, I, I think it's obvious anybody who's been paying attention that Jon Snow doesn't, isn't dead dead. Okay. Like dead forever. But uh you know how they get there is as important as the fact that he's going to be resurrected. How about that booby shot at the end with the ninety-eight-year-old, yeah, hundred and twenty-year-old? That was impl- that was implied heavily uh, in the show, both the show and the books that, that okay. uh, she uses glamour, okay. they call it, to uh, to change her appearance. 
So gotcha. uh, it wasn't a shot. It wasn't a shock. It was a cool shot, though. Mm-hmm. Um, it was really cool. I mean, because you know, there's a couple times they've showed her nude and yeah. just really great breasts, right? And then you know, they show her changing into you know, what 130 or something like that. Yeah, so it looks like that. Yeah, I think that they. I read something where that you know the, the idea was somewhere between 100 and 400 years old, but they didn't know. But they, they needed to get like a person because they mm-hmm. wanted CGI and they didn't know how to do that. So they right. so it's obviously you know very just a very old lady. Yeah. But um, but yeah, old. She's very old. Yes. Also, Silicon Valley. Yeah, that was a lot of moving parts in that yes. episode for sure. I you know it, I just love the the characters and and the way the actors play the characters. I mean, like just about every one of them, mm-hmm. even uh, the president of Huli, the CEO of Huli, yeah. right? Like the role he played, you know. <laughs> oh, yeah, I'm gonna take the blame. Yeah, <laughs> it's my fault that I have to fire all these yeah. people. And Martin Starr and uh, Camille, you know, just their banter back and forth. It was really good. Hopefully there's a lot of that in this season. I mean, there usually is, but it seems like they might be, it seems like they might be pushed forward a little bit, you know, like, wouldn't it be, it can be kind of cool if like in this season, um, Richard kind of fades to the mid ground or something. And like, you know, because of the, because of the company, well, who knows, the company might be actually put back together at that closing shot where he starts backing up right. but you know i was kind of watching it i'm thinking wouldn't that be cool if like richard was you know made this bad decision gets stuck in the mustache company where he's still like in the, <laughs> the show company, where he's right. still in the show right but you know it kind of shows maybe camille and, and martin you know or something like that come to the forefront i, I mean i just think that there's going to be you know some episodes that will focus on their character and some episodes yeah. will focus on richard's character more mm-hmm. uh and this was obviously a Richard episode. Yeah. So, I, I mean, I think it's interesting. The question is, what, what, how does Big Head fit into all of this? <laughs> uh, he's got to be BC after this, right? I mean, he's going to take his twenty million and do some venture capital with it. Can you do venture capital with twenty million? Uh, an app startup, you can. Yeah, I suppose. But I mean. Since he was the head of Nucleus. Right. Oh. Could he, he has get a cred. job? Yeah. I, I I don't know. Would they show another company being as inept as Hulu? Well, I mean, I, I think that that's the, that's his character as he fails upwards. Right. He, he... Right. But, you know, it was kind of... I kind of see it as any sane company would see Big Head for what he is, right? There's no was, sane companies uh, on the show. Well, maybe. I guess you're right. Um, <laughs> but I was saying, like, you know, Hooli was, like, the epitome of, mm-hmm. like, you know, and he felt, felt upward there where may, maybe he'll fall into another company where he does the same work. But I don't want to see the same thing. I want to see a different dynamic, right? I don't know. I I, I think that his character is best used in that way as, as just the – there's this character who just continually seems to like everything is is hard for Richard and for Pied Piper and for Bigetti. Everything is just so ridiculously easy. What if it's like a Steve Jobs thing where he comes back and runs Hooli or something? <laughs> <laughs> that that could that could work. I don't know. Maybe yeah. maybe he'll figure out how to make the mustache thing the next big thing. <laughs> there you go. 
Mm. Or he'll found a company where you just don't work and it becomes stunningly successful. Right? Where your desk is a lounge chair on the roof, you know. That sounds like Silicon Valley. <laughs> Sounds like a lot. A lot of it sounds like a lot of Bitcoin uh, operations. <laughs> there you go. But you know that'd be funny if he does found a company where it's exactly what he wants, which is not working, mm-hmm. and it becomes stunningly successful. That'd be a good way for him to keep failing up with his, you know, his um, ethics, work ethic, and whatnot. Let's see. Um. So I'm uh, going. See, I, I really, you know, we decided uh, CBC's in Philly this week. Craft Brewers Conference. Greg is in from New Zealand. Um, guys from the Beerist are flying up on Thursday. Um, Heather was kind of wanting to go to, fit, you know, getting away. So actually, Friday morning we're driving out. Okay. I didn't mention it to you because I didn't think you'd want to drive by yourself, and you know, there's no room in the car. And we just thought it, we just really booked it this week. That's fine. So yeah, I'm going out to Philly Thursday, Friday, or I'm sorry, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, and. Um, Got to be hanging out with. If you're listening to this and you want to hang out, I mean, I'm not doing any CBR events. Um, the beerists are thinking about doing a listener meetup. I think he kind of put that on the back burner. I'm like, and I'm thinking like, how many listeners am I going to deliver yeah. to this thing? You know, I'm not really good at rallying listeners. You know, so um, I just, you know, I did apply for press credentials, but it's mostly over. Like by the time I get there, because mm-hmm. it's all week. So Friday afternoon is, I think, the uh, World Beer Cup Awards. But I figured, you know, what the heck, apply for press credentials just in case. And uh, I don't know, just looking forward to seeing Greg McGill from New Zealand and, yeah. and John from the Beerists. And everyone else who's going to be there. Heather's <laughs> like, who's going to be there? I'm like, everybody. Everybody. All my friends, man. <laughs> All my friends. All your friends. Um... I don't know. I don't have much to talk about. Don't have much to talk about. I do. Give me one second and I will talk about stuff. We are giving you a few seconds. As Jeff looks, um, see if there's any tweets that I have which are interesting. Uh, I saw your tweet, your latest tweet, or the one you did this morning, and it really it seemed like I had to look again. Like, was this in like the best of Greg? Because it just seemed like something you've said like more than once. The the evolution's not directed thing. Oh, it's a, you know, whenever I have a thought, I I, I use Twitter as a mm-hmm. put that down. Um, so we had the vagina beer last week. Yes, this year we have belly button lint beer. Right. This week. So at least at least it's not like being touted as the essence of the man and, and like, <laughs> like the vagina beer was. No, this one actually says it's kind of inspired by the John Mayer beard ba- beard mm-hmm. beer. So he cultured some yeast out of his belly button. You see this the the, the tweet I retweeted from Sean O'Neill? No, uh, I don't know. I don't think so. Here you go. You can just take a look at it. O'Neill. Oh, yes, I did see this one. Finally, a news report that speaks to, to me and my interests. And it's uh, shot with a crawl that says, really old beer found in the river. <laughs> it's like a six-pack of... But it's not even like sealed. It's cans. like rusted open. Yeah. <laughs> oh, come on. There's got to be something to talk about. Let's give him something to talk about. 
The O, I was listening to um, Reply All podcast, and they were talking about um, ISIS and their, like, encrypted phones and stuff like that. And so they they arrested, there was a guy that was arrested in France for the uh, Bataclan, after the Bataclan uh, bombing. Okay. And he was supposed to be at the Bataclan, but he kind of got cold feet. Now, this was a guy who, you know, was... Uh, a Muslim living in France. Oh, uh, I don't know how to describe it. He had pretty white skin, which is part of the reason that ISIS liked him so much. He's a has your EU passport and white skin, mm-hmm. and um, so. But he was he lost his job. He wanted to go to Syria to fight against Bashar al-Assad, so he went there. ISIS got a hold of him, and they're like, "You're not going to fight in this war. You're a white Muslim with an EU passport. You're going back to France, buddy." Mm-hmm. But they train, you know, more of his training was on how to do, you know, secure compute um, communication than Mm -hmm. weapons training. So he got cold feet at the attack and I guess somehow police got onto him and they arrested him and got this information. But um, a New York Times reporter got... I was listening to the podcast, I'm talking with the New York Times reporter and a lot of the stuff she was saying. So they don't use... Western company stuff, right? They don't use Apple iPhones at all. You know, mm-hmm. terrorists will not use Apple. They don't use, um, you know, Skype, things like that. What they actually trained them to do was what really good security practices should be. They're using TrueCrypt. They're, you know how TrueCrypt hidden volumes work? It's a plausible deniability thing. So what you do is, say you take your memory stick, right? And you put TrueCrypt on the memory stick, like, is the main thing, right? So it's the partition or it's the file. It's the only file on your drive. And if I get your stick, I can see that that's an encrypted volume. There's proof that it's encrypted. You can see it. So I can compel you by cutting off your fingers to tell me your password type Mm -hmm. thing. TrueCrypt has a thing called TrueCrypt Hidden Volumes, where inside that TrueCrypt volume, you can hide an internal volume. But because it's already pseudo-random noise, there's no pointers saying there's definitely a hidden volume in there. Mm -hmm. So it's a plausible deniability thing where, you know, the police could compel you to open the outside volume and they'd see your cat pictures. Or, you know, maybe give them something a little bit juicy so they don't think that it was just... Um, a single volume, mm-hmm. but the real meat is inside this hidden volume, which there's no proof that it actually exists. If you're going to tell a big lie, hide a bit of truth in there. Otherwise, right. it's not going to be compelling. Exactly, right? That helps your case. But your real juicy meat's in this hidden volume, which they can't prove is there. So ISIS is using this. They're they're making a file. They're putting the hidden volume file inside it. Then they're uploading it. They thought they were uploading it to a Turkish Dropbox, but it was actually hosted in France. So they messed up there. But this is how they're doing communications, right? Like they train, send me a, do, put the message inside this double true crypt, upload it to this Dropbox, to this mm-hmm. account. And then the handler has the account and can pull down the file and decrypt it. You know, it's pretty good method of doing it mm-hmm. uh, until you get the guy with cold feet that tells you the system. But right. uh, every member of Congress should listen to this because there's no legislating to stop this. You know, this is the math is out there. It, anyone with a computer science degree could do a lot of that by themselves, right? I mean, you can't 
take back the algorithms. You can't make everyone forget the algorithms and you can't legislate this away. It's something that humanity has now. And once soon as they appreciate that, then we'll get a lot more sane rules around encryption and making Apple be able to decrypt everyone's messages when they get a court order isn't going to change how ISIS operates at all. I mean, it, I've said this before, but if I were the government, what I'd be focusing on is the P versus NP problem. I would be putting a lot of effort into uh, math geeks to fit, sure. for them to say, look, I mean, I know you guys haven't figured out an algorithm for this yet. Let's come up with something. Let, let's, you know, throw shit at the wall and see what sticks. Because something tells me I just have a, a gut feeling that uh, this will all prove to be ultimately easily breakable at some with something that we are just we have no idea about yet. Wouldn't it be something if the reason they're making all this stink is to just kind of make it feel like they don't already have prime number factors? <laughs> That's getting into conspiracy. It does, yeah. but it's that is a secret as important as atomic fission yeah you know, I, that's manhattan project shit yeah if, if you had that you would have an enormous if you had it first and could keep it secret yeah you have a huge advantage in the game yeah like all your signals intelligence like you it would make you know it depends on i guess a lot of cases but you know if it, it goes out the way we think it's going to go out and make decryption of any kind of signals and you know pretty much piece of cake if you can factor prime numbers and um or if you know you can do you know the right kind of quantum where you can run so many permutations simultaneously right. uh, that's that's probably even a bigger secret than the manhattan project i don't know because it, it it really it breaks the whole network when when adversaries get prime number factorization we need to find up a new, find a new way to secure everything there are other methods of encryption besides prime number factorization yes so you know bigger p equals np mm -hmm. i don't know i'm not a mathematician i don't know what elliptic curve cryptography is vulnerable against what kind of quantum attacks yeah. and or um algorithmic attacks versus or prime number attacks things like that uh, yeah i don't know i haven't done the research and you're still never going to be able to break a one-time pad that kind of stuff so um, quantum should be able to break a one-time pad, right? Because it should be able to like run like all the permutations. Well, you'd have to have. But I guess no, because I know. I mean, how are you gonna know which message, whether it's a shopping list or yeah. the bomb plans? Yeah. Because you're gonna get both, right? Yeah. How do you? You're gonna get. You're gonna get one time. It's gonna be Macbeth. Another time it's going to be a shopping list. Next time it's going to be bomb plans. Right. So, so maybe you're right. Maybe you're right. One-time pads are kind of the de facto in security. And that is you have a cryptically strong, cryptographically strong key. There's two copies of it. You give it to you. securely transport it to your person you're communicating with. And then... Use it only once, once and only once. I heard a really cool thing. Um, it was, was it 99% invisible maybe? 
one of those podcasts I listened to, but uh, talking about the uh, Vox encoder. And this was something that started out in like the 1930s World Fair or something like that. And it was kind of like a pipe organ that did voice things and people could actually play it and make it sing songs and stuff. And it was a Bell Labs. Bell was still Bell Labs. I think it was Bell Labs at that time. And they were, this was early like 1930s research on voice and compression and things like that. You know, back before like everything was already mm-hmm. figured out, you know, a crazy exciting time to work on that stuff. I mean, you don't even have computers yet and you're working on compression of voice algorithms. <laughs> um, and the war broke out and there was no good way to encrypt voice communications. And, you know, they really didn't want to go through Morse code, you know, and, and encrypt that type thing. So what they came up with, the guy the, the guy that did the Vox encoder came up with, um, I forget the code name for the thing, really, really top secret stuff. Again, also Manhattan Project type secrecy. And after the war, all of the um, machines, the vacuum tube machines that did this encryption and decryption, they were pushed into the ocean. <laughs> they dumped them in the oceans. Um, but... What they what they did for the one time keys were they cut two vinyl records with pseudo random noise on it, and they would sync it up to the Universal Time radio station thing, and so you know President Truman would talk into it and it would get encoded with this noise, and over the air it would just sound like static, and then in Britain you know Churchill would. You get played through the other record and decrypted, and the voice would come out. Now the voice would sound really tinny and clipped. You know, it wasn't really high fidelity, but it was understandable. And um, you know, that's like the first use of. And also, like like I said, the the stuff that was traveling over the radio waves sounded like static. Mm-hmm. You know, so it was the plausible deniability thing. Like the Germans probably never knew that that was an encoded transmission. Which is perfect. That's exactly what yeah, you want. It's like, it's like those images that have stuff encoded in the stenography. Yeah, I, I've been wondering about that um, stenography because I was listening to Security Now, and someone asked the question about stenography, and Steve Gibson like, ah, it's just a parlor trick, right? You know, like, what's the point of encoding stuff in there? Now, my argument, and I, I, I wrote back to him. But he never got, you know, he, I don't think he, he either didn't get it, he didn't take it on the air. You know, he doesn't reply, you know, directly to people. He just gets too much email. But if you, if we're talking about hiding your communications, you encrypt your communications with PGP or something like that. And then you encode the PGP in the image. And then you have your plausible deniability. You don't want to put the plain text in there. Mm-hmm. It's too easy to get out. But if you put the... A GPG or no, he said, you know, what's the point of putting in a picture? Just send the ciphertext. But then there's proof that you sent ciphertext. Or if you hide it in an image, then you, you just, hey, hey, Greg, look at my favorite cat pic. Mm-hmm. But you know, there's ciphertext in there that you can decode. So I looked for open source programs that do this, and there's like nothing that does it. Really? Like not not in the single step. I mean, there's ones that. Of course, there's GPT programs where I can get ciphertext, and then there's ones where I can encode my whatever text I give into an image. But no one's tied the two together to do encryption and sonography mm. in the same thing. Hmm. I mean, well, I mean, what I imagine you would do is you would just you'd have like a tumbler of cat pics. Yeah. Right. And you just. 
Instagram, mm-hmm. right? I mean, you're just doing your thing. All the pictures on Twitter. Who knows? Every 14th one might have an encoded message to my Russian handlers. Yep. Certainly possible. I'm not sure. I'm not, that'd be interesting. You know, if, if Twitter... Repro- like so mobile I mean that, that re- kind of stuff is, is if, def- they, if they reprocess the picture you'll probably lose yeah that's true so you have to use something that doesn't reprocess the picture yeah. doesn't make it optimized for mobile and stuff like that well that kind of stuff is almost certainly happening it's like number stations right I mean those are spies yeah, yeah. Uh, but that technology is not good enough anymore for now you have a much better way of transmitting stuff so yeah i mean because it should be pretty easy to so the way that stenography works is when you're encoding um an image or um i'm not sure if it goes all the way down to a pixel i'd have to double check but there's the least significant bit in say say a pixel right Mm -hmm. so you have two five five two five five two five five break that down into the bits right you have the the one or the zero at the very end now if you change that to a one or zero, there's like no perception mm-hmm. in the overall picture changing, even if you flip every bit or if you just kind of put. So if you use that least significant bit to put in plain text, the picture's not going to change. People can check an image, check the least significant bit and see if there's any patterns there, right? Does it read in English? You know, so that's why you want to put the cipher text there. Mm-hmm. So stenography by itself doesn't. You could easily have a robot scan the internet for the least significant bit of images and run it through pattern matching to see if there's something encoded there. Um, but that's why you use GPG, where it's just going to be pseudo random noise at that point, and you know, the pattern match isn't going to hit it. Mm-hmm. It would be interesting if it's too random for a JPEG, right? Like if a JPEG's least significant bit isn't kind of a random DV standard, you know, standard because of the way it's. Because of the way pictures are or something. So it'd be kind of telltale. Like, here's some pictures that that least significant bit is too random for a picture. Hmm. So, yeah. Nerdy. Nerdy. Well, speaking of nerdy stuff, I might as well bring this up. Because I had a thought. Um... If you can imagine, let's take a look at, uh, you know what the Mandelbrot set is, right? Hmm? The Mandelbrot set? Yes and no. I, I knew it one time. I'm not sure I remember. So it, it's this. Oh, it's a fractal. Yeah, it's a thing. fractal yeah. image created uh, just by um, a very simple recur- re- recursion algorithm. But what's interesting is you go further down into it and it gets very, very complex. Mm-hmm. So one thing to, that uh, you could one thing that people are proposing and that you could naively say might be an interesting idea for how our universe came to be is something along the lines of, of a fractal. And in fact, we find ourselves probably somewhere around the edge of the darkness. Like all this stuff is constantly creating universes. If, if this, this would be like, if, if inflationary mm-hmm. theory is true, all this stuff would be constantly creating universes. We find ourselves on the edge where in this area, it's all black. Mm-hmm. And in this area, is all a bunch of stuff happening. And so we start to find ourselves really right near the edge, and we find ourselves trending towards uh, darkness, trending towards having no energy to use, ultimately. Okay. So there's a big fractal out there, and we're 
all the interesting stuff is happening right here at the edge. We're in a very interesting area, but as we go further down, as time continues, we go further down here and we are falling into the, the non-interesting area. Okay. I just thought it was an interesting concept. I don't know how it does. It, there's no telling how valid it is. Uh, yeah, you'd need some math people to uh, yeah. kind of look at that one. But for a layperson, yeah, it sounds interesting. And it's self-repeat. There's a whole bunch of cool stuff sure. about the Mandelbrot set. But... No, it's it's definitely a um, pretty thing to look at. Yeah. And it's a very, very simple equation that reproduces this. So it's, it's a it's a way of showing, I think, how uh, very simple stuff can turn into very complex stuff. And just a basic, simple symmetry can turn into a whole bunch of very complex things, which is the way that physics looks at the universe right now, is mm -hmm. that there are very basic symmetries that are broken, and that's why we have all the stuff around us. Yes. It also seems to have an emergence property there. You know, the Mandelbrot set, you know, mm -hmm. very simple. And then you look, you look at the, the details, how many arcs, curves there are yeah. in the whole thing, and... There's you an zoom in and you get a, yeah you zoom in you get a whole you just recurses the whole way in. yeah it's Mandelbrot's the whole way down well because it, and the reason why is because it's self-referential it, mm -hmm. it keeps right. coming back to itself so yeah but that and, but that that's the thing everything in the universe is a is coupled to everything else and it's ultimately self-referential so we see that kind of thing happening all across the universe right. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Drink some beer? Yeah, I guess we can get, move on to drink to the beer drinking part of the show. Works for me. 